This is your favorite sports podcast on the official Moose's Mulligan's website. Tried to check the swing, went around too far. Nixon is struck out. Got it. Ball strike three. Got it. Four more times. Carl Everett down on strikes. Mike Messina has struck out 12. And out pitching Pedro Martinez. Yankees lead by a run. What a game. Now here's your host, Alex Dreisick. This is Moose's Mulligans. I'm your host, Alex Trezak, back with another great episode, up to episode 36 now. No way! Thanks for all the feedback. Make sure to keep checking us out and send feedback to facebook.com slash moosesmulligans, twitter.com slash moosesmulligans, and our official website, moosesmulligans.weebly.com. We got such good feedback from you that I pretty much already know what I want to talk about this week. We're going to break it into... Two big segments here, and the first segment I really wanted to talk about that you guys are bringing up was the MLB Hall of Fame. So I've been talking a lot about what my Hall of Fame ballot is. A lot of you heard back from me about what my ballot is and had a lot of good questions about it. Well, I want to answer a few of them. So a lot of the questions I've been getting, we'll start with the steroid era, which is pretty obvious. Now... The reason I have a problem with the steroid era players not getting in right now is because the commissioner for the league at that time, who was responsible for the whole steroid issue happening, is in the Hall of Fame. That's right, he's in the Hall of Fame. So if he's responsible for all of this happening anyway, why not let the other players in? So... I'm okay. I mean, we we already don't have the all-time hits leader in. Let's at least put the all-time home runs leader in. I'm okay with Barry Bonds getting in. I'm okay with Roger Clemens getting in. But there's another player on this Hall of Fame ballot that I really wanted to focus on. Now, we've heard about... First, first before I get into this really interesting part, we're going to talk about DHs for like three seconds here. Because I don't think it's that big of a deal. It is a position now in baseball, so we should treat it likewise. And people are going to be a little more biased to David Ortiz because he really owned that DH spot. I don't. Edgar Martinez was like the the test dummy for it, and he did an unbelievable job with it. I think he should be a Hall of Famer. And then you know David Ortiz will be a Hall of Famer, and that'll open up the gates for designated hitters. But moving on to the player I really want to focus on was. Mike Messina, and why I think he needs to be a Hall of Famer. Not that he should be. I think he needs to be. This guy, yes, he had one 20-win season. He finished in the top six for the AL Cy Young nine times. That's impressive. And he had a very, very good career with a lot of innings, a lot of quality starts, and a lot of good wins. He was only 30 away from 300, and he was very close to 3,000 strikeouts. I think we forget how hard it's going to be now to get 300 wins in a career. We may never see it again. I thought CC Sabathia might be our best chance for a long time, and I don't think he's going to make it. So, 
why am I so on Mike Messina about him making the Hall of Fame? Why, why is it such a big deal that one pitcher could make? Well, it's because he could be the guy that finally proves that everybody thinks that to be in the Hall of Fame, you have to be the most dominant at one point. You have to have led the league. You have to have been the guy at least once. And they say the best way to judge that is the AL Cy Young. Well, the AL Cy Young's decided by the sports writers. So the same writers now who are electing the Hall of Fame, so I don't put much faith in that. You suck! I'm looking more at stats and reliability and how far that can really go for a franchise. You know, Mike Messina has a lot of really good stats that we don't really look at. He, he has an unbelievable stats that even put him above Hall of Famers like Tom Glavin and Don Sutton. You know, it's war, the wins against replacement. He ranks 19th since 1901. That's very high. To be above Tom Glavin and Don Sutton, that's very high. He, he's, he's racked up 48.6 wins above average. That's WAA. I love that. It compares him to, you know, the league average pitcher, and it lets you know what, you know, that he's 13th all time in this. He's above Bob Gibson, Warren Spawn. That's unbelievable. Now, the thing we forget is he was in the American League East in the 90s and 2000s during the steroid era. That's the hardest time to have an 18-year career as a pitcher. And honestly, he he had, he had a 3.68 ERA, which is 137 since 1901. You know, it's a minimum of 2,500 innings for that stat. But he shoots all the way up to 33rd in what's called a, a ERA plus. He has 123. It compares the pitcher to the league average, which is 100. So it adjusts for ERA and ballpark, and that's that's very good. Now, uh, the whole Cy Young thing I already talked about. I don't think it's, I don't think it's that big of a deal. He ranked in nine of those votings in the top six. That's a lot, and he honestly retired a little early. I think he could have had 300 wins, but he his body was worn down for being so reliable. Now, the last thing we look at for a Hall of Famer is postseason, and on that stage. In 23 career games, he had 21 starts. He posted a 3.42 ERA, including a 3.00 ERA in three World Series outings. And in 1997 for the Orioles, he went 2-0 with a 1.24 ERA. He, he was unbelievable. 41 strikeouts over four starts. So he was great in the playoffs. So I don't see what the problem is. He's a Hall of Famer in my mind. Now, if we say that this durability and this type of player to be reliable, and he did come out clutch. He came in and two, had two great relief appearances in the playoffs. That's going to open the door for more players that I want to talk about, like Andrew Miller currently. Now, Andrew Miller is being used in every key situation possible for Terry Francona, every single one, whether it's the fourth inning and it's bases loaded and the best hitter's up for the other team, or if it's the eighth inning, ninth inning, and then that key situation comes up. doesn't matter. It's that most important moment when the best hitter for the other team's up in the most key real situation to put up a lot of runs. And what's really cool is this has already happened before. This is nothing new. We just need to be reminded of it. It's John Hiller, who grew up in Canada. He grew up just outside Toronto, loved hockey, really tough guy. And he 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 was really good at baseball, right? And then what, he's such a tough guy. He, he had told his manager, I'll be a little late for spring training. And the manager said, what's the problem? He, he just said he had a heart flare up. And, 
He, the manager was like, when did this happen? He said, about four weeks ago. He, he had a major heart attack and didn't tell anybody. He said, I didn't want to worry anybody. He thought he'd be fine. So he had this unbelievable recovery from such a such a tough time. He, he made a great recovery, learned how to throw a changeup while being a minor league advisor for the Tigers because they were too afraid to pitch him with his health. And he became so good that they ended up calling him up and he would throw unbelievable important innings, whether it was the first inning and the bases were loaded and that hitter came up, whether it was the fifth inning, whether it was the ninth inning. He was always there in the clutch moment and got it done. And it wasn't like a closer thing where, you know, it's the ninth inning, we're going to get a save. That's you know, No, these are like three-inning saves. These are, these are when you're going long amount of time in tough situations. And, you know, I, anybody from Duluth, Minnesota, A, my summer ball roots there, I'm going to shout him out. He, he was unbelievable in every key situation, and Andrew Miller's doing the same thing. So now we have to talk about the Hall of Fame cases for these guys, and I think they're Hall of Fame worthy. I think what they do is so important. It literally is the most important parts of the game that they're throwing in. And eating up innings in a season can go a long way to a championship for Mike Messina, and pitching in clutch situations can go a long way to a championship like Andrew Miller, and as we've seen, it's already been done by uh, by John Hiller. So John Hiller was, a perfect, I think, a perfect example of it, and I, that's why I think Mike Messina should be a Hall of Famer. And if Andrew Miller keeps it up, I think he should be a Hall of Famer. And I think Edgar Martinez and David Ortiz should be Hall of Famers. And that worries a lot of people who like old-time baseball, but get over it. We're in a new generation. And this happened already in the 70s and 80s with Hiller. So it's nothing new. You're just becoming aware of it. All right. Now that I've gotten under a few skins, we're going to take a quick break here. And uh, our second topic is more on the serious note, and I want to really make sure that we have a good, serious talk about this because uh, this is a very touchy and important topic, and I want to make sure everybody hears about the health of student-athletes and how far it really does go. So uh, stay here on Moose's Mulligans. We'll be right back. This is your favorite sports podcast on the official Moose's Mulligans website. Alex 
Alright, back here on Moose's Mulligans with me, your host, Alex Dryzak. We're here on episode 36. We just talked about the MLB Hall of Fame, and I said we were going to get into two big topics. So let's transition over into the second one. The second one I want to talk about, and it is some really sad news about this story, and it's the Washington State quarterback, Tyler Helinski. And it's really sad news that anyone at the age of 21 has to pass away, but in a suicide like this, especially a college athlete who obviously a lot of people knew and loved, and for, for sports, I think we really need to look at the health of student athletes. Now, a little background on Helinski. He had appeared in eight games in his sophomore season. He was a redshirt sophomore. Uh, his He had, a, in the second week of the season, he went and brought Washington State back from a 21-point deficit in the fourth quarter to beat Boise State in triple overtime. It was awesome. Three touchdowns off the bench, 240 yards. And then his uh, his only career start came against Michigan State. Uh, and what I really wanted to point out was, if obviously to open this, if anybody is having issues, you definitely should call 1-800-273-8255 because it is not worth it. You definitely need to talk some, to somebody. Now, the next thing I wanted to bring up is, as a student-athlete, I know, it, it can be very stressful. There's a lot put on you. There can be a lot of different pressures, and I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by student-athletes that I could ask about this. And, you know, most of them talked about the stress of weighing school and a sport together. So... A lot of them had trouble when there would be like 5 a.m. weights or a 5 a.m. workout for a week and they still had a test or a paper due. And that, that, that's obvi- I think that's, that's obvious stress. It's going to be difficult to manage because you're adding in the extra sport. People, you know, you do choose to play the sport, but once you're in the sport, it, it is a job. You have to be there. And if you miss it, it you know, you can get fired. You can lose your scholarship. There's a lot of pressure to keep scholarship, whether it's staying academically eligible, whether it's staying athletically eligible. Now, a few other ones that I heard from the from the players that I talked to, were I thought they were interesting. You know, things that we may not think actually could really weigh on a kid is crowd noise and dealing with a big crowd. They're not they're not used to that. That's a first experience. And when you're young and in college, it can be a very big experience. It could have a big impact. Now, another one I heard was it was balancing with family. You, know, you get pressure from your parents as well to do well, whether ac- academically, athletically, or both. That can add into the pressure of being a student athlete. You, you don't think about you know your, that parents could get involved in this, and it becomes so hard to manage that you can. There are times where you feel like you're buried. You get buried underneath the work. Now, the question really is, where can we go from here, and how do we make sure that things can be, you know, nobody, want, nobody wants this. That's the difficult thing to talk about. It makes it so difficult to talk about, because nobody wants to think that this can happen, and it's so sad when it does. The first, fa- I, I find it with the NCAA, I mean, practice schedules can still be ridiculous, and they're still trying to fix this, and they're still trying to make adjustments for student-athletes to make it as good as possible 
the best experience for them to succeed. But it really comes down at the end of the day, are they doing what's best for the kids? And I think I think there are plenty of adjustments we can make, which we can do on another show. I just wanted to bring up the topic, introduce it, see what you guys thought, get your opinions on what you think the NCAA can do to help student-athletes a little bit here. Because it seems like, especially today, where they're called one-sport athletes, you focus on one sport almost your whole life, there's a lot of pressure on you to do well in that sport and to stay in school. So I think there's a lot more pressure than there used to be. And I, I was just curious your guys' opinions on where we can go from here. And I'm going to wrap up the show here. And I, as always, I want to remind you guys to check us out at facebook.com slash moosesmulligans, twitter.com slash moosesmulligans, moosesmulligans.weebly.com. Uh, that's moosesmulligans.weebly.com. Uh, our thoughts go out to the family of Tyler Zielinski. And I want your guys' thoughts now to start pouring in so that we can try to make sure that this doesn't become an issue in the future. Once again, thanks for tuning in, guys. And I'll hear from you next week for sure. You'll hear from me as well next week. Next Sunday, right here on Moose's Mulligans. Remember, fairways and greens, no mulligans. I'm your host, Alex Dreisek. See you next week. Tell me you see.